This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Time now for the get-go of the Jack Riccardi show with none other than Jack Riccardi. Yeah, how was your weekend? It was quick. Yeah. What do you, yeah, what do, you do on a weekend? Like, what's a typical weekend for you? Well, you know, football started, so you've got that issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, wife's not that crazy issue. about that, but um, you know, it's been you know kind of early for us. So I would say over the first couple of months, we would try to make it down to the Riverwalk for the first time. We did that one oh, Saturday. Yeah. Bad yeah. idea because that day it was like like oh. ninety nine with a yeah. you know, heat index. Of oh, whatever. that's the best time to enjoy it. I mean, when it's when... so you're kind of doing your first this first that. Yeah, there's some of that going on. But again, Jack, when football starts, yes, that starts to slow down things like Fredericksburg this weekend, then we'll do that. and then It'll it's like, be there. It'll <laughs> exactly, be there. That's what football I Football won't always be here. But you know, wives don't always wives don't always see it that way. So I know. That's a delicate negotiation. Well, yeah. all right. Well, of course, the weekend started Friday night with uh, UTSA beating middle tennessee state and and nobody mm-hmm. winning the governor's debate did did you catch the governor's debate uh, which we had here on ktsa between beto o'rourke and greg abbott if you watched it uh did you think anybody got the better of it that's our question on the jr poll at 210-599-5555 but first uh this afternoon um boy the the mop squad at the white house is so busy they always have something they got to clean up and it's kamala harris again uh she went to a place that I, I don't even know why you'd go there. There'd be there's some reason to go there. I mean, we just had this massive hurricane. They're finding dead bodies. The, the, the wreckage is unbelievable. You, you know there will be political jockeying between Biden and DeSantis because of 2024. But into the, you know, breach comes Kamala Harris. And she comes out, and she's talking about um, how communities of color are most impacted by hurricanes and how when we do the the rebuilding and we allocate the resources we need to do that based on equity uh here's the quote that has everybody upset cut number one it is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and and impacted by by Issues that are not of their own making. And so we, absolutely. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities um, and, and do that work. So there's two kinds of things going on here, right? There's the bringing people water and food and giving them shelter, which is like immediate right now stuff. And her defenders say she didn't mean that. She meant when you go in and start rebuilding the the, the big stuff in these communities, when you put back the bridges and the roads and stuff. So she, that's what they claim she's talking about. But there's no, there's, there's, either way, um, 
there's no reason to go there. FEMA is walking it back. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre is walking it back. No, no, no. Everybody gets help. FEMA, no, we support all communities. Uh, the state of Florida is, is, they jumped on this and said, whoa, 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 she's confusing people. Uh, this is causing panic. Now people are afraid they're not going to get assistance, uh, based on race or background. Um, and, and it really is, it's two things. It's seeing everything through the lens of race, which Kamala Harris is just one of many politicians who do that but it's also as bill maher said that she's really bad at this i mean she's just not she's not good at politics i mean it's clear you know you would never want her to become president but she's not even good at doing like vice presidential stuff like this stuff is very easy it should be very easy to talk about hey we're going to help everybody keep the faith people help us on the way we're going to be there for everyone if you're part of a community that you ever felt like you were overlooked, we're not going to overlook you, but, but we're going to be there for everyone. And Bill Maher was saying on his uh, show, he, he still thinks they should stick with Biden, but he thinks they should dump her off the ticket. Cut number three. I got to tell you, he's not giving it up. He, he, <laughs> no, I mean, he waited a very long time. He's like Dracula. I have crossed oceans of time. <laughs> Oceans of time to to be the president. Once you have that real estate and you Uh, wake up in the White House and your office is the Oval, I just don't think you'll give it up. It's very hard to take the nomination away from the the president. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Assuming president. And what I could see is replacing the vice president because. Yeah, she's she's just not very popular anywhere. And it didn't seem to work out. And um, I don't know. That's been done before on a ticket. I just think she's a bad politician. Why do they say she didn't work out? Wasn't she awful in the primaries? I mean, didn't the Democrat voters in the primaries say no to her? If, I, if memory serves, she dropped out of the, the big, crowded 19-person field first. She didn't get a single delegate. She was awful. I mean, picking her as the running mate, you have to know all that. And so I don't know. This, this, you don't get a pass for we thought she'd be great or we thought this would work out. She was a failed contender. She was the Joe Biden of the 2019-2020 field. And Obama picked the most failed, flawed running mate out of all the other people who had run. But it worked for him because it, they kept Biden in a box. And it's not working for Biden because Kamala Harris keeps being let out of the box or getting out of the box. But th- imagine being in Florida. You're, you don't know where you're, you don't know what happened to your community yet. Maybe you haven't even gone back to your house yet. You hear stuff, but you haven't seen it. You, you, you figure you've probably lost things that are not replaceable with any amount of money, right? Maybe friends and neighbors are dead. Um, so you're, you're in this, this painful, um, heartbreaking uncertainty, and then here comes this politician saying, "Well, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to even the score, and we're going to. Some people are going to get it, and some people aren't, and maybe we're not going to rebuild as fast in places where there's white folk." I mean, she went soup Nazi on the whole thing, right? She she went to that extreme of scaring people about whether or not they would get what what they what they want, what they need, what they expect, or have been led to expect from the federal government by their politicians. And, um, you know, it's just, it's not a mystery to me that they're keeping her around. It's a mystery to me that they, they chose her in the first place.
So I got a chance to see this movie on Netflix. Apparently it's also in the theaters, and I didn't know that, and I wasn't planning on watching it. Um, and I'm not really glad that I did watch it, but it's a new movie. Well, this is confusing because I'm going to say good things and bad things about it. It's called Blonde, and it's a biography of Marilyn Monroe. It's very imaginative. It embroiders a lot of stuff that we don't know if it's true or not about Marilyn Monroe. Now, what I will say on the positive side is the actress who plays Marilyn Monroe is an actress named Ana de Armas, and she's amazing in this movie. I mean, she's very, very good, very talented, cries buckets of tears, great acting. Um, she was in Knives Out, if you remember that movie. But um, she she turns in a great performance. The movie is very long and very depressing and sad, and I, I don't recommend it. But while I was watching it, I immediately thought, uh-oh, we got, we got ourselves a controversy here. Because in the movie, Marilyn Monroe is portrayed as, as uh, undergoing abortions, two abortions. W- by the way, for the record, it's not known whether or not Marilyn Monroe really had one or not, but the movie claims she had two of them that she was coerced into by the movie, you know, the... the uh, what am I trying to say? The studios. So in the in the movie, the actress playing Marilyn Monroe is very distraught. She has mixed feelings. She doesn't want to do it. She feels like they're forcing her to get it. They drag her, throw her in a car, and drive her to this place. The car's locked. She can't get out. She doesn't want to do it. She's screaming in agony. She's got remorse afterwards. And they depict the baby in the womb. They show it. And they depict it as talking to her. So her unborn child is saying to her, you aren't going to hurt me, are you? And then the second time, you aren't going to, you know, kill me like you killed the other one, are you? I mean, it's really, it's, it's riveting, a riveting moment in the movie. Planned Parenthood is upset. How dare you make what they, what they call, Abortion propaganda. It's propaganda that women would be would have remorse or, or pain or mixed feelings. No, that never happens. Are you kidding me? That never happens. No one ever feels that way. Our, our customers are always completely satisfied. I mean, this is their position. How dare you make this movie and, and depict the, the unborn baby as if, as if it's human? They said it's anti-abortion propaganda and it would stigmatize people's health care decisions. It's people. Yeah, it's people. Um, they whined about it, that the, the fetus is depicted to look like a fully formed baby, which apparently doesn't happen. The baby is never fully formed. And uh, the movie company took artistic license. And so they're, they're furious. Now, now, think about it. Hollywood makes 10,000 movies... They're all liberal. They're all preaching and pushing an agenda. They make one movie, one, that shows a young woman not, um, you know, with mixed emotions. She gets the abortions, but having mixed emotions about the abortions. And, oh, that's that's propaganda. How dare you, Hollywood? Who, Who do you think you are with your artistic freedom? In fact, there's a scene where, the again, this is the actress playing Marilyn Monroe. She's in a movie theater. She's at a premiere for one of her, I forget which one. She's watching the premiere of one of her movies, and she got the abortion in order to make this movie because they were going to give it to another actress, and she wanted it. 
So she's sitting there, and the, the lights come up, and the audience is applauding, and she's distraught, and she mutters to herself, for this I killed my baby. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it, I was surprised. I'm watching it, and I'm saying to myself, this is a Hollywood movie? They're actually showing this? They're saying this? Pretty surprised. The director says he was not trying to make a political point, that he, uh, he says people are projecting Roe v. Wade onto this movie, and he, he says, I, we just think this is the way it probably happened, you know, but we're not, we're not, uh, editorializing one way or the other, um, on the issue. But it, it's interesting how brittle Planned Parenthood got. I mean, we know this is their favorite thing in the whole world, but boy, it just, you can't even have one movie. You know, so anyway, if you saw it, I'd be curious to know if that, if that you kind of noticed that or you thought that when you saw the movie. It's called Blonde. It's on Netflix and it's in the theaters. People, people have been yelled at and and told uh, how evil and racist they are for years, and now you've got people down in Florida with maybe no house, maybe lost all their belongings, uh, maybe deaths or or injuries to family, friends, neighbors, and and and, and what a what a what a really just despicable. Thing to come out and say, well, when we start rebuilding, we're going to settle the score. We're going to even some old scores. These people, I mean, th- this administration, these Democrats, uh, you know, look, I, I'm not in denial about our history, but you don't, you don't start with people that have lost everything, and you go, well, we're going to make it all right on your backs. You're not going to get your bridge. Because your great 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 grandfather had a slave, come on. And by the way, who decided that? Like, when did we have that election? When did we have that vote? Is that how most Americans feel? I mean, when people give, correct me if I'm wrong. I maybe maybe I'm wrong, but when, when when people see all these hashtag and text such and such numbers after a disaster, Red Cross, what have you, everybody gives, everybody digs down deep and gives, and we don't ask ourselves, well, who exactly is this going to? Uh, what, I'd like to know the racial makeup before I give my money. You know, the, the, what I just want to point out, I mean, look, you may not agree with me about everything or a lot of things on politics, but you don't think this way when you see people in need, and they do. And I guess it's good that we're seeing that now. So 210-599-5555. Yeah, the... Um, the Planned Parenthood people are furious with the new Marilyn Monroe Netflix movie Blonde because in the movie, the actress portraying Marilyn Monroe has remorse and mixed feelings and anguish and her aborted baby talks to her. And it's like they cannot imagine that in the real world this would be a difficult, painful um, decision or that, that there wouldn't be people with remorse, regret, uh, after they did it, that that's ridiculous. That never happens. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And Lewis is on the Jack Riccardi show on KTSA. Hi, Lewis. Hey, Jack. How you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. So I saw the movie um, Blonde this weekend, and um, I, I was a bit surprised that they portrayed the. Uh, the baby as a, uh, you know, fully formed human being, I was delightfully surprised to be honest. You know, I would have, I would have um, been not surprised. If it would have been a, a clump of cells, you know, that would have been <laughs> what I was expecting. But, um, 
Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else yeah, yeah. about that movie that would that would give you any kind of a hint as to like the political uh, direction it's going in. But I was with you when I saw those scenes. That is so unexpected from a place that usually gives us one-way propaganda. Correct. Correct. And I thought to myself, there's going to be some repercussions. There's something's going to yep. be said about this. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, I said it. I, a friend of mine had watched it, and I said, "You watch. This is going to be a big controversy on Monday. We'll be talking about it." And 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 here we are. What did you think of the movie otherwise? Because I I kind of found it to me it was very depressing. Yeah, it was. Um, I was my wife was watching. I was kind of dozing in and off. And, you know, I wasn't paying a whole whole lot of attention. But that's a sad story. Um, yeah. She was used, I think, for for reasons. And um, I don't know. It's it's a sad story all around. You know, the other thing that surprised me a little bit, because usually Hollywood reveres the Kennedys, and th- I don't know if you saw the scene where she's with JFK, oh, yeah, it's very graphic, yeah. but that's probably the most negative depiction of John F. Kennedy I've ever seen in a Hollywood movie. I mean, that's I don't know if that's what happened that or not, I, I wasn't there, but but boy, that is that is a very negative depiction of him. Yeah, I'm surprised I'm not catching heat about that, I forgot about that, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but hey, Lewis, thanks for the call. It's good to have you. Appreciate having you on the show. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Yeah, I mean, I, I I know this is not exactly the same, but when um, my daughter was being ready to be born, um, her mother was in a car accident, and it was a very serious car accident. And I I don't I won't say that a voice talked to me, but that felt to me like two lives were at risk. That felt to me in every way, not me being dramatic or me being imaginative, that 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 was that is real when you are a mom or a dad expecting a child, that is real. He or she is real. And so I can easily imagine. I think it's a very small step to go from where I know I was to, to hearing that that child's voice challenge you, plead with you, scold you, I would imagine that the the depiction in this movie probably has really happened to people in that to women I should say in that circumstance and maybe to the the men as well if they're if they're involved with the woman but I I, I don't I didn't find that a stretch. I only found it a stretch that that you could get that through a Hollywood movie. That think of all the people that have to sign off right on scripts and screenings, and then you know before the movie is released, uh, you think of all the liberals that that had to go past. I'm just kind of amazed they let it go by, and now they're catching heat from Planned Parenthood, which maybe is all by itself an endorsement of the Netflix movie Blonde. Um, I you know. Let's just say this, and I, I'm not, I don't want to knock Steve Spreester and the other people that worked on it. They all seem to do their homework and, and all that. And they're great people, but, um, it was a very dull debate. And I think part of what made it dull was long, long setup questions. I swear I didn't have a stopwatch, but I think the questions might have been longer than the answers. And, and at times they were giving them out, like they were doling out, uh, amounts of time, like, you know, like like privileges, you know, like, you have 15 seconds, you have 20 seconds, you have 15 seconds. And I'm thinking, 15 seconds? <laughs> what, what can you say? What, are you, what can you say about a complicated subject in 15 seconds? Except a slogan, right? 
And I think the reason political debates can be boring, and I don't blame you if you didn't tune in. That's, you know, uh, we, we see these guys every day on our televisions and radios. It's not like you don't know where they stand or how they sound. But I think one of the reasons debates are dull is that um, there really isn't much debating going on. An actual debate would be much more interesting than what we get. What we get are two people who've memorized a lot of factoids and have rehearsed a lot of short answers. So they deliver what they've rehearsed, but they're not put on the spot. And in a debate, you would be put on the spot. You would you would have to really um you know dig deep and uh come up with it and 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 maybe have to impro- it, it would your your uh your response would be too complicated to memorize that's what i'm trying to say how do you feel what do you think what should we do lay it out for me i want to hear all the steps and i know you can't give them to me in 15 or, or 30 seconds in fact, the best way to do this really would be to just do a couple of topics. Don't, 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 oh, we're going to have nine topics over the course of the hour. No, let's do a few. And have them give long answers and have them give unstructured back and forth, you know, let them mix it up. I think people want that. You know, do you, do you ever hear people complain about a fight in a football game or a fight in a hockey game or a fisticuffs in a baseball game? No, because adds to the drama debates need to be like that this thing friday night was so locked down and controlled and both of them were were so safe and i felt like i was just hearing rehearsed factoids and to be honest i don't think that either but either of them won i i was disappointed in greg abbott he is not a robust defender of conservative ideas he i, I knew he wasn't but man i wish somebody would get up there and 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 say what needs to be said and not be so namby-pamby about it. He was just very low energy, and um, I'm not saying he, he did anything overtly wrong, but it was not inspiring. Like, I can't imagine there was one undecided voter who thought, well, I'm going with this Greg Abbott. Got some fire in his belly. This, the, the thing about Beto O'Rourke is... It might have been a little better for him, actually, because he tends to have this image of being a little unhinged, a little, you know, fist-pumping, F-bomb-dropping. So if he gets up there and acts the same way, which he did, they both acted like they were on a, you know, a sedative. But for him, that's probably beneficial because people need to see him calm down, need to see him act like an adult. Um, but... I, it, I don't know. What did you think? I mean, it just, I, I don't think it, I don't think it changed any minds. And I think it was a great opportunity. Each of them, in a way, could really have done himself some good. I didn't see it. But tell me if you saw it differently. I want to hear what you think. 210 599 5555. Of course, they started out with uh, the border, uh, and, and devoted the first, uh, part to that. And um, in that, uh, it was about Operation Lone Star. Here's what the candidates said on the border and on Operation Lone Star, cut number four. Well, candidly, we shouldn't have to allocate any money for it because this is all because of Joe Biden's failure to do the president's job 
to secure the border. We're only having to do that because of Joe Biden's failure and because it would be the same pathway uh, that Beto would take us down. Speaking of which, he talked about this uh, guest worker program. He could have done that had he won the race for the Senate or won the race for president. That's not a job for governor. The job of governor is to have to deal with the chaos caused by the Biden administration and its open border policies that Beto would replicate. Just, what uh, we have is chaos you... thanks to Governor Abbott right now. Okay, let me give you 15 seconds to answer the question for me. Um, how much money should be going toward Operation Lone Star? And I'm telling you, zero dollars okay. should be going to Operation Lone Star, and that's what it would be if we had a president who was enforcing the immigration laws of the United States of America. Mr. Work, I want to go over to you. 30 seconds for this question. It's the same one. Should more money be allocated towards Operation Lone Star? No, it's clearly failed. Um, the numbers are in. We're seeing not fewer but more engagements at our border. When the governor spent $4 billion of our tax dollars on what has turned out to be political theater for his political career, he promised us that it would deter people from coming to this country. We've only seen more people come. Now they get a bus ride to Chicago or Washington, D.C. or New York. We don't need any more stunts. We need solutions. We need those coming here to follow our laws. We need to make sure our laws follow Thank our values. You, so Mr. Ward. I mean, it's just a train wreck, really. 15 seconds? 30 seconds? Who, who can talk about anything of any import? You can't talk about your damn grocery list in 30 seconds. You can't talk about the Cowboys game in 30 seconds. You can't talk about anything. And, and, or if you, if you do, you're just mouthing a, a rehearsed thing that you timed with your handlers. Oh, okay. I can say this in 29 seconds. Blah, 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 go. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at O'Rourke saying Operation Lone Star, which is the Texas border response in lieu of the federal one, is a failure because there have been more encounters. That is <laughs> some Orwellian math there. So, if you are encountering more attempted illegal crossings with a program designed to stop illegal crossings, the program's a failure. Right. Trying to do my Dr. Evil there. Right. They talked about gun control. Have you seen the ad that some of the Uvalde parents have made for Beto O'Rourke? They're sitting in two rows and they're holding pictures of their, of their dead children. I guess these are all, it, it's, pre, it's presented as these are Uvalde parents. I'm presuming all of them in the ad are. They're probably not all of the Uvalde parents, but they are several. And they are endorsing Beto O'Rourke. It's, it's interesting to me. I, I think this is a whole separate discussion about whether that is, that, that's, I've never seen an ad like that, to be honest with you. I'm not sure what that will do to people. I'm not sure how that will hit people. Uh, because, I mean, if these people feel this way, they have every right to. And if they think the answer to what happened in Uvalde is Beto O'Rourke, who, who would any of us be to tell them otherwise? I don't think it is. But I've never been where they are. Anyway, so they talk about the, the gun control issue and um, just where exactly uh, do they stand on that. And they get into the age limit on AR-15s. Take a listen to this, cut number six. There's a reason why these parents are angry, and, and they're rightfully angry, uh, and I can feel their pain. No, share, no parent should lose a child, and we want to do everything we can to make sure that does not happen. We want to end school shootings, but we cannot do that by making false promises. 
It's a false promise to suggest that we can pass a law that will be upheld uh, by the Constitution uh, to raise the age, and here's why. The most recent Federal Court of Appeals decision on this particular issue said that it, that it was unconstitutional for a state to raise the age from 18 to 21 uh, for a person to buy an AR-15. So any attempt uh, to try to, to raise the age is going to be met uh, with it being overturned. So we need to get to the bottom of what is really ailing our communities, and that is the mental health that is leading people to engage in school shootings, and Texas is already addressing that. I'm going to follow the lead of those families from Uvalde. That's who I'm doing this for. In fact, uh, many of them drove more than five hours, 280 miles, to be here today, even though they're not allowed in this theater because of the governor's conditions, because they want to hold him accountable, because it's been 18 weeks since their kids have been killed, and not a thing has changed in this state to make it any less likely that any other child will meet the same fate. All we need is action, and the only person standing in our way is the governor of the state of Texas. In Florida, after the Parkland shootings, it was 23 days for that Republican governor to raise the age. And in those states where the age has been raised, mass shootings are down 80%. So yes, we can raise the age to 21. And as governor, I'll bring Republicans and Democrats around the table to do that. Uh, after all of these mass shootings, this governor has done nothing except make it easier for people who should not have a firearm to carry them publicly. And this is what we get as a result. We need change. Um. I have to say, I mean, you know how I feel about him. O'Rourke is the most inauthentic uh, politician this side of Liz Warren. But to say the Avaldi parents, they're 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 the reason I'm doing this, or I'm doing I'm doing this for them. You were running for governor way before that shooting, dude. You can't say your campaign came about because I mean that's not even close. And that's the kind of thing that even if you were to find yourself in philosophical agreement with him on some other thing, like the, the, the age, it's so cloyingly fake. And that little, you know, ripple, I'm doing this for them. You're doing this, you're running for your third office in four years because you want to be in office. We all know that. Just own that. You don't have to... Just own it. Like Dr. Phil says, just own it, Beto. Just own it. All right. We're talking about the uh, debate Friday night, getting your reaction to a 210-599-5555. Let me jump ahead to um, defunding the police. They were talking about that. Cut number eight. Listen to this. Do you support measures to defund police? Of course I don't, and and no one does. Um, but let's look at my record. I think that's the best thing to look at. And then we'll look at the governor's. Um, on the El Paso City Council, I raised police salaries 12% in the six years that I served here. there. In Congress, uh, I funded $11 billion to local and state law enforcement across this country, including in Texas. I want to fund law enforcement, fund training so that everyone is treated equally under the law. And I want there to be accountability for when those officers abuse the public trust. What I supported and what I continue to support is full funding for law enforcement, full funding that includes training to ensure that we're treating everyone equally under the law, and we definitely need accountability and justice. If someone abuses the power of life and death over our fellow citizens... Thank you. Beto clearly said uh, that in response to Minneapolis that he supports uh, their idea of defunding and dismantling, dismantling police. And i got to add this. He didn't say a word to criticize the city of Austin that defunded their police by more than $100 million. 
the law I passed uh, will prevent any city from okay. defunding the police. So, because so let's just be clear about this, because this was a bad exchange for Beto O'Rourke. When he talks about, uh, I did such and such on the city council of El Paso, how many years ago was that? That was like 10 or 12 years ago. And then he was in Congress, I think from like 2013 to 2017 or something like that. I may be off on the years a little bit. So he may have voted for some police voting, uh, police funding thing in Congress for his two terms in the House, but that was all before 2020. That was all before he, like all the other people in his party, practically, got all infatuated with BLM. I don't care what you were doing 10 years ago. I want to know if you were able to withstand the seduction and the siren's song of defund the police in 2020. Did you get caught up in the George Floyd tornado? Yes, you did. And you kowtowed and you pandered shamelessly to it. You know, it doesn't matter what you did 10 years ago in El Paso. When the chips were down and it was the police standing between law-abiding people of all colors and the mob, you went with the mob. It's, I mean, and that's the answer that should have been given by the governor. And it wasn't. I call it a non-debate debate. All right, so we have the governor's debate. It's going to be the only one between Abbott and O'Rourke on Friday night here on KTSA, getting your thoughts, your take, your reaction. Mike is on the radio. Hi, Mike. Hey, how's it going? I really Good. feel that any city that votes for Beto is a vote for increasing crime. Is a vote for what? I'm sorry? Is a, is a vote for more increased crime. I mean, every city, I mean, look at Austin right now. They had a 150% increase in their murders last year. And Houston's you know, pretty much right behind it. And you get this guy in the office, it's, it's going to really hurt. So, okay, Mike, I, I agree with you. Um, wh- why, why didn't Greg Abbott say that, exactly that, and say it loud and say it repeatedly on Friday night? I, I think he was kind of caught flat-footed a bit. Um, he probably should have been more, a bit more prepared, uh, prepared for it. Um, I mean, he knows, he knows crime's up in every major city in texas right now uh there's no there's no debating that and for him i, I don't know if it was a slip of mind or your preparedness on his part how can you be flat-footed you you've known for months you're gonna have this debate it's the only one i mean you're running against I the know. guy you, you you and and here's the thing i mean i'm not i'm not yelling at you i'm yelling at greg abbott but oh, yeah. here's the thing you're the only guy on that stage that can say what needs to be said if you don't say it it doesn't get said and people don't hear it exactly i don't, I don't know what 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 Governor Abbott was thinking. I mean, he, he, he knows what's going on. He should have come out and said it. And Beto, you know, you know, we know his record. He, you know, he, he was he was for you know uh, these anti-police uh, uh, people, and 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 he was just, you know, we know where Beto stands. And he doesn't. And yeah. Beto doesn't have the support, I think, of any law enforcement um, organization. I don't think he has any endorsement from any. Yeah. Mike, it's a great. I think you seized on a really good point or a really good uh, difference there. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Look, I just. And I know I get I get email from people. Why are you against Abbott? I I'm not really against him. I'm just fed up with him. <laughs> that's different, I guess. To me, that's different. I can still I I can still uh, you know I, I I there are people in my life that I love, but I'm fed up with them. He has to take the fight on the offensive. You're running again. I don't care where you are. Pick your state. If you're the Republican candidate, you're running against. People that are trying to tear down civilization and who are pandering to a mob, to a mob mentality, whether it's the cancel mob or the defund the police mob or the 
let's, you know, even the score on race when we do a hurricane relief mob. You, you, you shouldn't be playing defense. And that's what I heard from Greg Abbott. I heard a guy playing defense. Yeah, I know he's got the lead. We talked about this Friday. You, maybe, maybe you think, well, I'll just run out the clock. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for, and I think this is why there was so much interest in his primary challengers. People are waiting for a fighter. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Does that sound like anybody you know? Maybe that we were talking about, uh, say, 2016 or so? Yeah, okay. I believe you mentioned that you watched a little bit of football over the weekend. Yep. So let's talk about the Cowboys for a mm-hmm. minute. Yeah. It needs to be said, first of all, they beat Washington, okay? You didn't climb Mount Everest. That's right. You beat Washington. You beat Carson Wentz. Most On, on most days, Carson Wentz beats himself. You just have to stand there and watch him do it, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Okay. So... Secondly, I, I think Cooper Rush did a fine job of game management. No one's talking Hall of Fame, but the guy stays out of the way. He manages the, the you know, he gets the ball in the, hand, the right hands and, and lets it happen. But is it, are, are you nauseated as I am by watching Jerry Jones kind of like drool over what I guess he imagines is going to be a quarterback controversy? Yeah, I don't know that he's really, I know where he's coming from only because I've, I've watched him since he started. I remember the the I mean near protests up in DFW back in '89 mm-hmm. when you know mm-hmm. he and Jimmy came riding in. He loves all that. He really he does. That. And what's funny is the the locker room also loves it. The media loves it. Uh, oddly enough, and I've said this for a while, Jerry Jones is a great NFL owner, but I can't say a lot for him as a general manager. And I think the the sooner Stephen Jones, uh, you know, his his eldest has complete control over the thing. Uh, I think that that could, you know, that could go well for the Cowboys, but I know where he's coming from on this and honestly, Jack, it doesn't matter if Jerry Jones is talking about a quarterback contra- controversy or not because it's probably going to happen. Now, what you know, how the organization well, how, how is it going to how is it going to happen? You mean if Dak comes back and doesn't win? Well, Dak's in his 7th year. And he's done really nothing more than Tony Romo did for about a decade. You can get a playoff win here or there. Cowboys fans are getting rather impatient after having spent, what are we, yeah. 26, yeah. 27 years you yeah. know, since this team has been to a conference championship game and then won a Super Bowl. So I just feel like regardless of what the organ, I mean, we know the money is behind Dak. He's going to get his job back. But one of two things is going to happen. And this Sunday will be telling because you just mentioned they beat Washington, then they beat a Giants team that I think is a little overrated the week before, and yada yada. This weekend is going to be maybe a different kind of test, I think. And if Cooper Rush keeps winning, how do you justify you know fixing what might not? be Well, broken? I love the explanation they give. I mean, I'm with you, but the explanation they give is well, I heard this on sports media over the weekend. Well, it's it's it's. Uh, it's a system that the Cowboys have discovered, and so now it'll work no matter uh, whether Cooper's there or Dak's there. You're going to get the same results. Well, that that's like saying it doesn't matter who your quarterback is, which is an absurd statement, obviously. That's why quarterbacks get all that money. It does matter who it is. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think they would be in a, in, a, in a tough spot. You could not possibly bench 
Dak Prescott after giving him the bag, right? There's no, no way. And I think that if if not for the way the Dallas defense has been playing since the season started, you realize the minute. Yeah. they have not given up 20 points this year. Yeah. No, it's and impressive. Another fun little fact nobody's talking about is this offensive line that was supposed to have so many problems for the Cowboys. And they've had adversity with Tyron Smith going down and training camp and so forth. Cooper Rush, I believe, well, I know that going into Sunday's game, he had only been sacked once in his first two starts. I think he was sacked once yesterday. So he's had some really good, if yeah. they can give that yeah. to Dak Prescott, yep. there's no yep. question they, yep. they score more points with Dak. So. There you go. I think the man's watched a little football, don't you? <laughs> Too much. Little, I don't think he's been going to Fredericksburg. I think he's been watching some <laughs> football. Right. All right. Thank you, sir. 210-599-5555. So I mentioned uh, this movie that I watched uh, called Blonde. Um, one that I did not see, I don't know if I'm going to ever see it, uh, was a movie that came out this weekend called Bros. Um, and now the star of Bros, an actor named Billy Eichner, is angry with you. He's mad at you if you didn't go to Bros. The movie came in fourth over the weekend. It made a very small amount of money, despite being on 3,500 movie theaters around the country. And he says, uh, the problem is straight people. He tweeted, last night I snuck in and sat in the back of a sold-out theater playing bros in L.A. He talks about this movie like he's just some guy at the movie. He's in it. (laughs) It's so weird, right? I snuck into my own movie. The audience howled with laughter start to finish, burst into applause at the end. Some were wiping away tears as they walked out. Boy, is he full of himself or what? It was truly magical, really. I'm very proud of this movie. But then he goes on to say um, that he's upset with straight America for not going. And it's just the world we live in, unfortunately. Even with glowing reviews, great Rotten Tomatoes scores, et cetera, et cetera, straight people, especially in certain parts of the country, just didn't show up for bros. And that's disappointing, but it is what it is. Everyone who isn't a homophobe weirdo should go see bros tonight. Billy, you should leave the advertising and promotion to some other people because you're, you're not good at it. I don't know if you're a good actor or not. I've never seen you act. Maybe you're great. It's a movie about two gay guys, and that's, of course, going to limit the potential audience. Not everybody's going to go, but, but I do remember uh, some years ago, I don't remember what year it was, remember Brokeback Mountain? I seem to recall that did well. I, I seem to recall a lot of people went to see that because it had stars in it. It had Heath Ledger, and I think the other guy was Jake Gyllenhaal, if I remember correctly, but I may have that wrong. I know Heath Ledger was in it. And they were name people, and I think there were even a couple of other stars I'm forgetting now. Um, but this movie didn't do terribly well, and so the star of the movie apparently has psychic powers. He not only knows who went to see it, he knows who wasn't there. Straight America stayed home. How dare you? What a way to what a way to get people to your movie. Insult your potential customer. Lash out. It's only been out one weekend. How do you know that the straight homophobes just were planning on going next weekend? You, you, you know, I'm sorry, we can't we can't make it on your timetable. <laughs> who are these people? So it got massive promotion. I don't know about you, but this thing popped up 
I had banners everywhere I looked, everywhere I went. I, I was seeing it everywhere. So I was aware of it, but it made abysmal box office. And, um, you know, maybe when you're throwing Christians and Republicans and straight people under the bus, maybe it dampens their enthusiasm for your work. I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. I don't know much about the movie business, but I, I thought I thought the way it worked was they kind of sort of flattered and cajoled you into seeing a movie. They sold you on the the benefits. You know, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be moved. You'll be this guy's like you, homophobic straights. Hmm, that makes me want to pony up some big dollars for his movie. Anybody see it? I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not against him. I'm not against the movie. I I hadn't given it a thought one way or the other. I don't go to see very many movies. To be honest, it probably would not be one I would see. But not not for any other reason than just because I see very few. But I mean, good God, this makes you want to like put your foot down and go, hell no, I'm not going to go see it. You, you've just sealed the deal. It's not really breaking new ground. We've already had this movie, right? That was, it, it, the plot sounds similar to Brokeback Mountain. I'm sure it's different in some ways. but uh, This guy has previously tweeted uh, pretty hateful stuff about Christians, uh, about um, Republicans, anybody that voted for Trump. He doesn't want anybody that voted for Trump um, to be identified with the LGBTQ community. He says, you're a traitor if you voted for Trump. Well, I know some traitors. 210-599-5555. We were talking about that uh, movie Blonde, which is a biopic of Marilyn Monroe, and it's got Planned Parenthood upset because... It depicts a, a young woman experiencing the decision about and then getting an abortion as if she is wrenched and torn and 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 sad and and then afterwards very remorseful and and regrets that she did it. And I understand that is not the way Planned Parenthood markets abortion, but. Those are real experiences that real people have. You know, it's interesting that they insist that you accept the premise that abortion must be legal because of of rape. Even though the vast majority of abortions are not abortions of rape babies. But let one movie do one portrayal that steps outside the lines by our Hollywood overlords and our Planned Parenthood overlords, and oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. They, they're not trying to cancel it, but they, they stop just short of that. Asking you about the uh, governor's debate on Friday night, getting your reaction to that. And if the Dobbs decision was the most famous or talked about decision from the last Supreme Court term, then the one that might... Uh, be the landmark case in the new one is uh, this case about uh, universities openly and illegally discriminating against uh, academic applicants, particularly highly qualified, academically qualified Asian American applicants. In other words, it's open 
discrimination against high-achieving students. Our next guest has a real personal stake in it and has been with us many times before as an activist and a writer and now a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Network. Azra Nomani is back with us on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. It's great to have you back. Good afternoon. Oh, absolutely. I'm so happy to be back. All Love to all my friends in the San Antonio area. We, we've talked about this issue with you before, and we've had Kenny Shu, who wrote the excellent book about it as well. Um, how hopeful are you that the Supreme Court is going to uh, yank this uh, policy out from under these colleges and universities? Yeah, I am absolutely certain that the U.S. Supreme Court will end a policy of racism. You know, I was just looking at the headlines today on the important cases to follow for the Supreme Court this year. And they frame this case of parents versus Harvard University and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill as being an issue of affirmative action. But it is not. This is a, this is a case about the institutional use of racism in admissions to colleges. And the Social justice activists have taught us exactly what that is, and that is mm-hmm. systemic racism. So we shouldn't allow, you know, the, the framing of this case to confuse us about what's at stake. It's about the fundamental right in America to have equal rights under the law, and that's why I'm confident we're going to win. So these universities looked at their uh, at the trend line of their incoming classes and at the ethnic makeup of those classes. Uh, somebody found them to be, um, I guess, unacceptably too Asian American. Uh, that seems like a very arbitrary standard, and decided that you needed to raise the bar for certain students and lower the bar for certain other students to to achieve a different mix so cook the books um yeah when you when you look at it that way it seems like who who could who could be for that who could make an argument who would want to be associated with doing that yeah that's that's what's happened in our upside down world is that we have you know policymakers, uh activist groups and quote civil rights organizations supporting racism i mean this is just straight up racism and the last time that this happened was against jewish students Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. jewish students who dared to do well in the 1920s and 1930s and the president of harvard university himself directly said that they needed to cook the books in order to get less jewish students in and so that racism was deemed unconstitutional back then and and that's Mm -hmm. why for the future of America, it must be deemed unconstitutional today. You um, you said you were hopeful, and I am too. Um, but let's let's be realistic as well. This Supreme Court has just been through the leak of a an opinion, um, an assassination attempt against one of the justices, and a an administration that has not acted to protect uh, these justices, their homes, their families from leftist mobs so are you at all worried are you at all thinking that there could be intimidation uh, on the part of the court well there will absolutely be intimidation there absolutely is intimidation it's a multi-million dollar movement against uh equality 
in the United States today. We have unfortunately, you know, empowered activists to try to set public policy through intimidation. And hey, America experienced this before, and it was in the 1950s, another very important Supreme Court decision that everybody will know, the Brown versus Board of Education, ruled that we cannot racially segregate students at schools or deny access to our public schools based on race. Well, lo and behold, there was a movement. It was called the Massive Resistance. And it was in the 1950s that the Southern Democrats intimidated judges, and built movements, passed laws in order to promote their racism. And so we've gone through it before as a nation. You know, we have, and I want to just tell people why I have so much hope. I want to make this real for you. I'm a mom today who arrived in this country at the age of four. We lived in roach-infested apartment on the campus of Rutgers University. My father worked so hard on his PhD. My mother babysat other people's children for a dollar a day. And now, every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm on the phone with other immigrants just like me, and we're organizing a rally in which Asian American parents, families, students are going to come the Saturday before the Supreme Court argument on this case. On, on uh, October 31st is the Supreme Court case. Our rally is going to be on Saturday, October, or, I'm sorry, Sunday, October 30th. And it is going to be at 1.30 p.m. till 4 p.m. If, if you hear this, please send word around. Send us mm. your support. And, you know, these are ordinary parents that are coming forward from leaving their homes to stand up for a really important value, and that's the American dream, because that's mm-hmm. what they came to this country to to realize and now protect for everyone. Mm. Amen to that. That is that is beautifully put, and uh, totally agree. And I know we'll talk again, uh, hopefully before then. But um, Azra Nomani, always appreciate your uh, thoughts on this and your personal connection to it and passion for it. And thanks for being on with us today. Oh, absolutely. We'll be there um, in the front rows or back rows, wherever they put us in Mm. the Supreme Court, um, standing up for everybody. Thank you, Azra Nomani. Appreciate it. J.R. Poll, if you caught the gubernatorial debate Friday, who got the better of it? Was it Abbott? Was it O'Rourke? Was it neither one? Vote at KTSA.com or on the 550 KTSA Facebook page. You know, um, I sometimes wonder if Kamala Harris has kind of like the hold my beer syndrome. When she watches Joe Biden just fumble and stumble all over the place, she's like, oh, well, you you thought that was bad. Watch this. So she, out of nowhere, started talking about um, the idea that when they, when, they, when they begin allocating and funding the rebuilding of Hurricane Ian-ravaged Florida, uh, it should be done with an eye toward... And it should be influenced by equity. And here's what she said, cut number one. It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and, and impacted by 
by issues that are not of their own making. And I'm so women. we... Absolutely. And so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities what? Um, what? And, and do that what? work. What, 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 what are you talking about? You of all people. You of all, I mean, of all people, you did not scramble up the ladder from oppression. Well, I won't, I'm too much of a gentleman to say on the radio how you got ahead in politics, Kamala Harris. But if you don't want me to mention it, don't tempt me by talking about equity and how we didn't all start out in the same place. You know, please, I won't say it unless I have to, because I don't think people want to hear it with their kids in the car. But it wasn't exactly a Horatio Alger story. I I get that there is this thing they're talking about now. I don't know if you've heard any of this uh, called managed retreat. I think that's what it's called. There's a there's a discussion in the world of engineering and architecture and urban planning. And managed retreat is this idea that if you're a community that repeatedly floods or repeatedly gets pasted by hurricanes. There's the argument goes instead of government and insurance companies just letting people rebuild right in the same place, you start, you know, incenting and pushing people like further inland or to higher ground. It's called managed retreat. And there's some there's some validity to that. That's a discussion we should have. That I, I'm open to talking about that. You know, you you can't. You can't throw good money after bad. I understand that. But correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they say that the hurricane-afflicted area, this was like a a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-century storm surge? This was not, oh, you people again? You know, it wasn't that at all. And so why why would you not do anything other than tell them We'll make, we'll make it whole. We'll, we're, we're here. We're going to stay over long it takes. You know, we tell other countries that. We tell Ukraine that. Anything you need. But we tell our own people, well, what skin color are you? Are you an oppressed group? How'd you vote in the last election? This is despicable. And I know they think it. I mean, we know that this this mindset, this ideology has infected people like Biden and Harris and, and, the, and the other wokesters. But for God's sakes, these people just had the damn storm. It hasn't been a week. Could you just have the decency? Could they just get like a cup of water and a shower and a sandwich before you start divvying them up by their heredity? No, we can't wait. Got to go right to it. 210 599 Remember the, you know what it put me in mind of? Remember the Seinfeld episode with the soup Nazi? So during the sitcom Seinfeld, they discover, the, the, the characters discover this awesome soup restaurant. Everybody wants the soup. But the guy running it is that he's high on his own, you know, supplies. He's, he's, he's got this, he's on this power trip, and they dub him. 
in a way that you could never do now, but this was the 90s, the soup Nazi. Let me play that scene. This is from uh, season seven of Seinfeld, cut number nine. Hey, Jerry, I didn't know you liked soup. Hard to believe. This guy makes the best soup in the city, Jerry, the best. You know what they call him? Soup Nazi. Shh. All right, then. I'm not letting you cut in line. Why not? Because if he catches us, we'll never be able to get soup again. Okay, okay. Medium turkey chili. Medium crab bisque. You didn't get any bread. Just forget it. Let it go. Um, excuse me. Uh, I think you forgot my bread. Bread? Two dollars extra. Two dollars? But everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. Three dollars! <laughs> no soup for you! <laughs> so... So I guess Kamala Harris is the soup Nazi of uh, Florida hurricane aid because she's, and, and by the way, out of nowhere, she's in charge of nothing, right? But she's declaring, well, we're going to take a look at, uh, you know, who are your people? Where are you from? Equity. Communities of color. Well, what if I live in a community of color, but I'm not of color? How will that work? Well, we'll pave the street until we get to your house, Jack, and then we'll skip over. I mean, that's the kind of nuttiness and insanity. You, I don't even know, really, if you could pull that off as a, as a policy. So probably the benefit or the value of it is that she thinks she's, you know, virtue signaling to somebody. But it's ridiculous. And now they're pulling it all back. FEMA pulled it back, and Corinne Jean-Pierre on the airplane today, because Biden went to... Puerto Rico. By the way, Don, I don't know, we may need to find this for tomorrow. Biden went to Puerto Rico, did you hear this? And said that he grew up in a Puerto Rican community. And I swear to God, I've never heard that. Have you ever heard that before? The man is 79 years old, and we just, we're just finding that out now? <laughs> That's what he said something like that, or it was very close to that. We'll have it tomorrow on the show. It's wild. 210-599-5555. So uh, we're talking about that. We'll talk about the um, the gubernatorial debate. Oh, Trevor Noah is leaving the uh, Daily Show, and you may be saying to yourself, who's Trevor Noah? It's fascinating to me, because I don't watch these shows, but I, I do remember when Jon Stewart was the host of the Daily Show, even though I don't agree with Jon Stewart politically, that was a very popular show. I mean, you had to know what was going on if you wanted to be in like in the mix of topics and opinions. It was it was must see TV for people in the in the media, for people in the opinion business, and it was compelling even when again when I disagreed with him. Um, but boy, it is a shell of what it was. I mean, Trevor Noah, who is a sort of funny comedian, never got more than like a fraction of Jon Stewart's audience numbers on The Daily Show, and now he's um, leaving. By the way, do you know you know what they blame? Comedy Central has talked about the decline in the ratings. You know who they blame? They blame Trump. <laughs> you, can't have, you can't have political comedy anymore because of Trump. So it's not that the comedians suck 
or that they're too political. Late night TV is like this too. Late night TV is nothing like it was when you had Carson and Letterman, Leno, right? Oh, it's not. It's not that they're politically opinionated and people don't want to hear that at ten thirty or eleven o'clock at night. No, it's Trump. He took all the joy out of our lives. We can't laugh anymore. You know what? We are laughing. We're laughing at your theory. I'm laughing right now. I'm laughing on the inside. You have to realize what an incredible thing the first James Bond movie was because every other movie in that series was a James Bond movie, but the first one wasn't because there was no such thing. You couldn't call it that. James who? And it's incredible how Dr. No has held up over the years. This weekend marked the 60th anniversary of its release. We'll talk about that next hour. We're talking about... uh, Look what happened to late-night television. You know, they think Trump ruined comedy. In a way, that's true. But it was their obsession with Trump that ruined The Daily Show, that ruined Comedy Central, that ruined The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. That, that I don't know if you can even say ruined Kimmel, because I think Kimmel was kind of a low-talent hack anyway. But uh, Colbert... I know I'm an old guy, and I know you can't turn the clock back, and I know Carson had dominance, ratings dominance we're never going to see again. But when you watch Johnny Carson, there were Reagan jokes and Carter jokes and jokes about the Democrats and jokes about the Republicans and jokes about things that weren't political, lots of them. And you never got the sense that he was on some sort of mission to better you or better your citizenship. He seemed like a guy that wanted to break from all that crap just like you did at 11 o'clock at night or 11.30 or whatever it was. You know, you knew he was aware of it. He was a smart smart guy. Same thing with Letterman. But the unspoken agreement between you and the guy across the desk was, hey, it's late. Let's relax. Let's have some fun. Let's laugh. Let's get all loose and silly before you go to bed. Right? Now, they might as well get out a chalkboard and a pointer. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, am I getting graded? Is there going to be a test? And they blame Trump? <laughs> I'm sorry, it, it's your obsession with him. It's doing monologues that were about nothing but him. And you'd think they could look at that. Can't you do a course correction? Can't you see what's happening? Nope. So no one was watching Trevor Noah, and no one will watch whoever's next. And they don't know why. Talking about the governor's debate uh, Friday night here on KTSA. Sam is calling in about that on KTSA. Hi, Sam. Yes, Jack. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you for what you do. And now I want to opinionate on uh, Friday's debate. Yeah. Uh, What I heard was not a debate. What I heard were one-minute political ads, 30-second political ads, and 15-second political ads, that's what I heard. Yep. Yeah, and, because uh, what can you say uh, in 15 seconds? What What can you possibly say? Right, right. I mean, uh, and uh, the people that had the, the debate, the questions that they came up with, they, they knew better than that. They, they knew better. They, they already knew what the, question, the answers were going to be. In, well, uh, I felt like uh, some of those questions were so long that I felt like, why don't you just make that the whole hour? You know, like, okay, that's a very deep, complicated question. Give them the whole hour to bicker back and forth about it. I'd listen to that. But they were like, we only want to spend three minutes on this, and you get 30 seconds, and you get a minute. I mean, it's silly. 
Right. Well, uh, I was a member of a high school debating team, and uh, we were taught that when you debate, you have to be ready to defend your viewpoint, you have to be ready to propose your viewpoint, and you mm-hmm. have to be ready to attack your opponent's viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hear mm-hmm. that. I no. did not hear that. I, I don't know if they were capable of it, but they certainly didn't have the time for it, that's for sure. Exactly. I mean, it was rigged to, to you know, get the time was the whole thing. You know, one hour, one hour debate, who are you kidding so do you think it made any difference? No. No, I, I didn't. I, I was very disappointed because I sat and waited all day long for it, and when I heard that one hour, I, it was a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I hear you. Sam, thank you for the call. Good to hear from you, sir. Um, I will say this, and I'm not, I am not saying he won it. I don't think there was a winner. I don't think any of them, either of them got the better of it. I will say this, though. To maybe somebody that didn't know a lot about this um, matchup, if you saw Greg Abbott, you saw a guy who was very buttoned down, docile, sedate, but you expect him to be. If you saw Beto O'Rourke, you've seen a guy who drops F-bombs on television, who's running around jumping on furniture, and he acted very sedate, and like he'd been, you know, he looked like he was on his best behavior. You know, he had his hair combed, he had a tie on. And I wonder if that might have helped him. Only because one of them was acting the way everybody knows he acts. And the other one was showing a side he doesn't usually show. And I don't think it would have made a lot of difference. But to a person here, a person there, a few people here and there, maybe. Maybe it helped him a little. I don't know. So this weekend was the 60th anniversary of... The first James Bond movie. Can Boy, you believe that? I missed that. Years. I must have been watching too I don't much know how, football. I, I don't know how you... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. I don't think there's ever been a series that went on that long with a new movie every few years for 60 years. Uh, same character, uh, you know, and just sort of... Conti- I mean, I'm sure there's been like cartoons and shorts and stuff that lasted that long, but... Um, what has always impressed me about this first one is that it didn't have the, you know, the, all of the others that followed had that franchise to sit on, right? They had that, that platform to stand on. The people knew who the character was. They knew the premise. Mm-hmm. This movie comes out. Nobody knows what you're doing. What is this thing? Uh, who, who's, you know, who's Sean Connery? Who's yep. James Bond? And um, I want to play. This is the original theatrical trailer that ran in movie theaters in the weeks leading up to, 60 years ago, the debut of Dr. No. Take a listen. My name is Bond, James Bond. My instructions were implicit. I was to leave for Jamaica in two hours, licensed to kill. Now you may be missed. You don't miss a thing. I decided to accept your invitation. I have to leave immediately. Just as things were getting interesting again. James Bond, 007. Licensed to kill whom he pleases, where he pleases, when he pleases. From the elegant club rooms of Mayfair to exotic island night spots. Good evening. Who pays you? You. Tell us. A strange adventure of intrigue, treachery, and love. 
Mel. Oh, Mr. Bond. I was thinking, why don't you collect me at my apartment? It's lovely up here in the mountains. Her directions were easy to follow. And she sent a few of her friends to make sure I didn't get lost. She thought I was dead, but I proceeded to prove her wrong. I thought it was always polite to knock first. Before shooting. Honey, from our very first meeting, was everything her name implied. She clung to me like a wet bathing suit. But business as usual came first. The pace was killing. I thought you less stupid. I could have had you killed in the swamp. And why didn't you? You damaged my organization. Unfortunately, I misjudged you. You are just a stupid policeman whose luck is run out. Maybe it was my luck. Up to my neck in hot water. Or something blowing up in my face. You'll live dangerously with the superbly resourceful James Bond. The exclusive screen dramatization of the book that has entertained millions of viewers. The exotic and tantalizing Dr. No. So that's how they were promoting it and explaining it to people. I mean, they really had to kind of like break it down. You know, he's this is who he is. This is what he does. Um, and it's interesting to me because uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of these movies. We've talked about this before, but um, when I think of, when I've and I, I watch them all repeatedly, but when I think about this one, very low budget, no sense of expectation. This genre of movie really had not been born yet. It not only spawned the other James Bond movies, but it spawned all of the other, just an explosion of 60s spy movies and suave, debonair, man of mystery type movies. Um, so it really gave birth to even more than just the series uh, of Bond movies, all based on the books of Ian Fleming, although interestingly, he sold the the rights. to. He wrote maybe seven or eight Bond novels, he didn't sell them all to the production company. He held back two, and it turned out the one they thought they should make first, Thunderball, was one that he had not sold them. So they wanted to start the series with what would ultimately become uh, the fourth Bond movie, Thunderball, and I, I always wonder how that might have played differently if they had done that. Um, the premise of this one was um, a British agent in Jamaica has disappeared, and there is something going on in that neck of the woods with Cape Canaveral rockets going off course. So the thinking is, if if something's happening to America's rockets, it must be the Soviets, and there's going to be a Cold War. But, of course, in Bond movies, it's almost never U.S. versus Russia. It's always made to look that way, but it usually isn't. And in this case, they there's this mysterious, evil character, Dr. No, who I think is one of the best Bond villains of them all. Maybe my favorite, played by uh, Joseph Wiseman. Uh, one of the best 
um, double-crossing Bond women, uh, Zena Marshall, uh, plays Miss Taro. She's the secretary to the uh, charged affair in Jamaica, and Bond hooks up with her, but she's working for, the, for Spectre, for the bad guys. I mean, everybody on the island pretty much is working against Bond. This was first written, since so much of it takes place in Jamaica, I was interested to find out a while back that when Ian Fleming wrote Dr. No, he wrote it as a television movie to promote Jamaican tourism. And when you watch Dr. No, it is a feast for the eyes of the beaches, the landscape, the resort hotels, the highfalutin lifestyle. You can see what they were trying to do. Um, but it fell into the hands of this producer, Harry Saltzman, who had a very different idea about it. He didn't want it to be soft and featurey. He wanted it to be hard-knuckled. And um, they went through several directors, none of whom wanted any part of it or could understand what to do with it. And they finally went with a director named Terrence Young, who they'd worked with before. And Terrence Young is really one of the unsung heroes of the Bond movies. He's the one that gets that this character needs to be funny as well as, you know, athletic and sexual and and, uh, a professional spy. But he's also got to have that wry sense of humor, those asides. That's that's one of the great things about James Bond movies is you're let in on the joke. The the character kind of looks at you like, can you believe this? Um, they wanted, and I've always found this so improbable, I can't wrap my head around, Cary Grant. I thought Cary Grant would be the perfect James Bond. And he was willing to do Dr. No. But he also told them, I'll only do one. And they had already decided they were going to do a series of these. So the clincher for the then 30-year-old Sean Connery was that he was available and willing to make a series of of movies. In fact, all of the leading characters, Honey Ryder, Miss Taro, all, all of them were originally going to be uh, someone else. And when you look at it now, I feel like they made the right choices. I feel like they picked the perfect uh, people uh, for each one of them. It's still one of my favorite Bond movies. It would still be in my top uh, five. But I think it gets, to me, it gets extra credit tonight because, again, every other movie the Daniel Craig movies, the Timothy, uh, uh, I was going to say Timothy Dalton, the, uh, you know, the movies with Pierce Brosnan, the movies with Roger Moore, all of those stand on the shoulders of this one. All of them owe their existence to Dr. No, which premiered in movie theaters 60 years ago this past weekend. Tell me what you think. If you're a Bond fan, 210 599 55, 55, do you have a favorite or like a top five? You like Dr. No? You know what I like about this movie, too, is the villain, the guy who the movie is named after, um, he is thoroughly uh, just corrupt, evil. It's like he's not affiliated with anybody or anything. I mean, he's his own... He's his own cause. He, you, in the clip we played, he says, you know, I, I'm not here to help the East. I'm not here to help the West. They're equally stupid. Um, and he's, he's ridiculous. I mean, his biography makes no sense. His accent makes no sense. He lost his hands. He's never totally explained how that happened. He was working with radioactive material. He's got these black plastic claw hands. It's just, 
the underground lair. I mean, all the stuff that, uh, you know, Mike Myers had so much fun with in the Austin Powers movies, that all starts with Dr. No. They hold up for me. I can watch them over and over again. I, I, I know that's probably not true for everybody, and I guess we all have movies like that. We've talked about this before. You have your favorite movie, the one you never get tired of, of checking out again, or you put it in when you're feeling low or bored or whatever it is. And, and for me, the Bond movies do that. And I, I just, I think when I think about what they did with the first one, it had to be good to make all the others, you know, to keep that, that franchise going. And as I mentioned, they, they had every intention of making a series of them. But if this one hadn't been successful, it was produced on a low budget, but it made a lot of money. And if it hadn't done that, would we have had that whole series? And then you think about, it's not just a movie, it's kind of a whole pop culture reference thing. You know, I mean, there's people that, even people that have never seen the movies, no Bond, James Bond, and License to Kill, and of course, all the names that are double entendres like Honey Rider. Um, I, I, I started reading the books several years ago, the Ian Fleming books, because I grew up on these movies, but I had not read the, the novels. And it's interesting if you haven't had if you if you've never read them and you like to read get them because they're very very good they're short they're action packed and they're very different from the movies in some cases barely recognizable like Moonraker barely recognizable from the book but one of the things that I found interesting was and it was interesting because I started reading these not long before. Uh, Daniel Craig was cast as the most recent James Bond. And Daniel Craig is really the closest thing to the James Bond that Ian Fleming envisioned. He envisioned a guy and depicted in his novels a guy who was uh, very physical and hard and violent and kind of cold. And when you think about all the actors who've played James Bond... You know, they're all suave, they're all debonair, they're all good-looking. Some more or less physical than others, like Roger Moore, really not at all. But um, but Daniel Craig has that, that, that killer's gleam in his eye. I mean, he, he looks like an assassin, which is part of who this character is. You know, he says in the, in the trailer, I can kill anywhere, anytime, for any... Uh, reason the first James Bond movie Dr. No also introduced all the report the uh, recurring characters so this is where we met M who's his superior and the great actress Lois Maxwell who plays Miss Moneypenny M's secretary by the way Lois Maxwell was a British actress who in 1961 was having trouble uh, with her career her career kind of stalled out and she was not only worried about that from the standpoint of wanting to get roles, she had a very, very ill husband. In fact, eventually he died. She needed something that would be ongoing and would help her support him. And she was thinking it would be television because that's the kind of thing where you keep getting paid and you keep working. Um, but she took this role and, of course, played Miss Moneypenny all through the Sean Connery and and um, Roger Moore uh, Bond movies and was fantastic and it was it it wasn't a Bond movie without Miss Moneypenny we always loved her and of course 
all kinds of other references and traditions and all the gadgetry all started with Dr. No, a movie that came out 60 years ago this past weekend. We've talked recently, we did a show recently about the uh, James Bond theme and how Monty Norman wrote the film score. And um, that the, the, the James Bond theme was actually just a piece of music that Monty Norman had lying around. He did not sit down and write on a clean sheet of paper this now iconic, you know, everybody can hum it, uh, music. He had it. He worked it over a little, reworked it a little bit, and gave it to the producers as if he had written it uh, for them. They were so happy with it, I guess they didn't care, or maybe they found out later that it was kind of recycled. But anyway, that's the story of Dr. No. It's 60 years old. Check it out. I mean, if you've never watched these movies, watch. a fun thing to do is watch them in order. They're not, they don't take the books in the order in which they came. But if you watch the movies in order, the references, the character references, the character development, it's, it's easy to do. And uh, you, there are worse ways to spend a weekend, right? Thirty-seven on five fifty and one zero seven one KTSa Jack Riccardi late afternoon show on the JR poll tonight. We're asking uh, if you watched or caught the gubernatorial debate. Who got the better of it? Was it Abbott? Was it O'Rourke? Was it neither? We're going to see how you voted here coming up at the end of this uh, hour. And um, we were talking about the first James Bond movie, Doctor No, which is 60 years old this past weekend, I believe it was either Saturday or Sunday, was the 60th anniversary of the release of what would be the first James Bond movie. And although they did intend it to be a series, certainly there was no guarantee that it would be. I think I think the fact that this was such a good one, and that when you compare Dr. No to all of the others, almost everyone who's ever made a list or done a comparison puts it in at least the, the upper half, you know, and a lot of people put it either number one or in the top five. I, I certainly do. So we're talking about that. We're talking about your favorite uh, Bond movie. And um, we actually, we talked about movies a few different ways today. We were talking about uh, this new Netflix movie called Blonde, which I, I'm i not recommending it overall because it's really long. God, it's got to be like three hours, and you feel it, you know? And it's achingly sad and depressing. I mean, at the end of the, you won't want to do anything but curl up in a ball if you watch this movie. But it's about Marilyn Monroe. I really did not need three hours, but okay. Um, the reason it's in the news today, besides the fact that Anna de Armas is great in it, she's, she really does a wonderful job, but the reason it's in the news is because in the portrayal of Marilyn Monroe as an up-and-coming star, you know, she's they're they're portraying her when she's first sort of making her mark and getting roles and coming to the attention of Hollywood, um, she gets pregnant, not once but twice. She, she's not um, married. She's not uh, uh, wanting to get married. The studio doesn't want her. 
You know, if you think about it today, you'd probably the 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 studios would play up a pregnancy. They'd say it's human interest, and you know, let's do a magazine profile of how she's making a a nursery and what have you. But in that in in that era, and I think this is accurate. Uh, they wanted to keep these stars, you know, pristine. No questions. No, who's the father? None of so. So she gets she gets essentially coerced or forced to get abortions. The way it's depicted, and we don't even know if this is true, but the way they depict it, Marilyn Monroe, the person, does not want these abortions, but is made to get them. So she is upset, distraught, fighting it. And then when she gets it, she has this incredible remorse. To the point where the movie maker has the fetus, the baby in her womb, talking to her. It's it's powerful. And apparently it's gotten under the skin of Planned Parenthood. They're dinging the movie because they call that pro-life propaganda or anti-abortion propaganda. Wouldn't you think that people who are in the abortion business, and I'm sorry, but that's what it is. It's a business. Wouldn't you think the people in the abortion business could at least admit, at least admit, that for some women, their product is regretted, is remorseful is um, instantly tragic and life-altering no can't can't that never happens that we, we won't accept that we, we won't acknowledge that no how far we've come you know I'm old enough to remember maybe you are too a Democratic president about 30 years ago you may know who I mean saying with apparent sincerity that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. And they used to pay lip service to the idea that, hey, this is not the outcome anybody wants. Even as they were arguing that either it should be legal or there should be federal funding for it or it should be covered by this or that, they they at least seemed to have a connection to reality. Because it is reality. I mean, this actress is pretending, but there are real women in our world, and maybe in your life, who will tell you it was, I've never gotten over it, or I knew it was a mistake, or I didn't want to do it. That they showed this in one movie, completely unglued, completely unhinged over at Planned Parenthood. They're throwing all kinds of slurs at it and calling it propaganda. I mean, it's hilarious. It's, it's a tragic subject, but their behavior beclowns them. They can't help themselves. 210-599-5555. Speaking of the Clintons, Chelsea Clinton uh, said in a documentary recently that her family 
is the reason that Fox News was created. She was talking about uh, some of the stuff she's doing with her mother. They're doing documentaries and stuff now, podcasts and what have you. And she says that um, they invented Fox News to get back at us. To hit people, she said, quote, with relentless misinformation and every night pipe into their homes to disbelieve scientists. They get away with it. And she says they were created because of us. Now let me let me tell you how cray-cray that is. Bill Clinton was in office from 1993 to 2001. Fox News signed on the air in 1996. But Fox News was created out of an existing network. I know because I did a little work for it. That existing network pre-existed Bill Clinton's presidency. And before Bill Clinton's presidency, Bill Clinton was the governor of Arkansas, whose only claim to fame was he had given a very long 1988 Democratic Party speech. That was it. So they started designing Fox News. I, I know this around 1992 or 93. So Bill Clinton and Fox News came along at about the same time. But it is quite a stretch to say that it was invented to stop Bill Clinton. The the, the idea of stopping Bill Clinton was not an idea yet. I know they think they're the greatest thing that ever came along and they're America's first family and, you know, but... I'm sorry, not not everything is about you. <laughs> this one is not about you. I will say what I think is probably true, and maybe maybe she could have said it this way, Chelsea could have said it this way. The moral narcissism of Democrats opened the door for Fox News. It wasn't just the Clintons. It was the whole cabal of them. You know, if you want to look at why that's the number one news network and, and, and some, has some of the highest ratings of anything, anything on cable, not just news, but anything, think about the, the wide-open eight-lane highway that was paved for the Murdochs by the Dan Rathers and the Tom Brokaws and the New York Times, and the CNNs, and, yes, the Democrats, and the, and the incestuous back and forth that went on between the Democratic Party and the East Coast media, right? Because if you weren't in the administration, then you were on one of the networks, and then when your party got back into power, you went from the network back into government and White House to New York and New York to White House, and, you know, we all see it. So I will give them credit for opening a big, wide path. But no, it wasn't invented for you. (laughs) As we say up north, God love you. On the JR poll, uh, if you checked out the gubernatorial debate last Friday night, uh, who got the better of it? Uh, On our results tonight, across all of our platforms, uh, 59% said Greg Abbott got the best of it. 
29% said neither of them got the best of it, and 12% said Beto O'Rourke got the best of it. We'll have a new JR poll question here tomorrow at 4, or again, find it anytime at KTSA.com. Uh, we were uh, talking about different movies and obviously the Dr. No thing. There's a really popular uh, series that you may be into or someone you know is into called Stranger Things. Uh, and they're now uh, into the fourth season of Stranger Things. Caleb McLaughlin is one of the... It's it's a, the, the main characters are all young people. And he is one of the young stars. I think he's actually in his 20s in real life, but they play like teenagers. Anyway, so he's one of the main characters. And um, he did an interview recently at a Comic-Con where he revealed that he feels slighted and bigoted against because he is the black character on the show. He says, why am I the least favorite? Why do I have the least amount of followers? I'm on the same show as everyone else from season one. But it bothers me. He says it bothered him even more when he was younger. He says, my parents told me it's a sad truth, but it's because you're the black child on the show. Because I was born with this beautiful chocolate skin, that's why I'm not loved. Now, I will say, having watched Stranger Things, he, he's fantastic. They all are. And I'm not one to follow, so I, that isn't even a, a thought of mine. I just watch these shows and appreciate the work that actors and actresses do. But I guess, I, I guess I, I'm a little sad for him <laughs> that his parents, rather than countering his blues and his negativity would tell him yeah it's because you're the black child wow i'm not a parenting expert i'm not saying i'm any better at this than anybody else but the last thing i would ever do if my child felt slighted down um unappreciated not that i not that she does not that there's really a comparison here but i mean the last thing I would do is affirm it. I don't understand why we're doing this to kids. Look, when you're an adult, if you want to be cynical, if you want to feel like the world didn't give you a fair shake, that's fine. And you may be, you may be justified in, in thinking that or feeling that way. But the part of that that jumped out at me, I mean, there was a big controversy when he said it and there was all these arguments. But the, the part of that story that jumped out to me was, as a parent, I read that, and I thought, my God, that's the last thing you should say. You know? I, I, I cannot, and, and, if, and if this is what we are telling young people, if we are teaching them to expect less because of their skin color, then maybe we really haven't made the progress that I thought we had made. That is a that is a very weird dynamic, in my opinion. That just to me is a very strange thing to do. Anyway, um, one more thing about uh, Doctor No is we'll leave you tonight um, on the 60th anniversary of the first James Bond movie. You know, in every James Bond movie, there's like non sequitur scenes or holes in the plot, or you wonder like like why do they always leave him alone and he makes these escapes? You know, they made fun of that in the in the uh, Mike Myers movies. Well, anyway. In Dr. No, there's a scene where he's been imprisoned by Dr. No, and Bond climbs into this ventilation shaft to escape. 
And once he gets in the shaft, this scalding hot water comes pouring through and practically drowns him. And it's scalding hot water, and it fills this vent or duct that he's in. And it makes no sense. Why would there be water up there? Well, in the book, Dr. No has rigged the escape. He wants to test Bond, and he puts the water through. But in the movie, it's portrayed as an actual escape, and therefore there's no logical justification for all the water. See, that's why you got to read the books and watch the movies. And we'll leave you with the original theme, which was the theme of this movie. It didn't have its own song, but then, of course, turned up in all of the remaining Bond movies to this very day. Monty Norman composed and happy 60th birthday to Dr. No and 007. And I'll see you back here tomorrow night from 4 to 7.